Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by America's Card Room, where now you can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $2,000 by using the promo code TPE for Tournament Poker Edge. Uh, Today, I have a special guest that I'm going to introduce. She is actually an ACR-sponsored pro. So excited to introduce my special guest today. But before I do, I want to tell you guys about something that's happening on ACR this weekend. It's called the Thanksgiving Bountiful Weekend from November 24th through the 27th. It's a PKO, my favorite type of tournament. You guys know how much I love the progressive knockout bounty tournaments. And in this tournament, if you knock out any of our ACR pros, you actually earn double the bounty. It doesn't matter if the bounty amount is 250 or 250,000. ACR is going to double it just for the sponsored pros, which, by the way, does not include me. Okay, I'm not a sponsored pro. I'm just a podcast host. So if you if you knock me out, you just get the normal amount. So anyway, so check that out on ACR this weekend. Uh, we are actually giving away in the Discord, the TPE Discord. You can find a link to it in uh, the description of this podcast join the discord because we're actually giving away one seat into the 215 dollar buy-in five hundred thousand dollar guarantee you can get a seat in this big tournament for free on the discord so join the tpe discord by clicking the link in the description all right enough about that i want to introduce my special guest and america's card room professional Uh, She was, for two years in a row, the top-ranked player in all of Spain. Uh, She has $2 million in live earnings as well as over a $1 million in online earnings. She's a wonderful player and someone that I'm very excited to have for the first time here on the TPE podcast. Please welcome Ana Marquez. How are you, Ana? Uh, hello, how are you? Thank you, thank you. Such a nice intro. Oh, you like your <laughs> <I'm> introduction? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was nice. It was nice. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, I'm doing good. Excited to do the podcast, so let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, how long have you been an ACR sponsor pro? Oh, uh, I started in February this year. Okay, great. And how do you like it so far? I love it. I love the team. I, I love my teammates. I love the company. I love everything. <laughs> I'm super happy. Yeah. So I was looking a little bit at your bio, Anna, and I noticed that when you were in college, you wrote your uh, bachelor's thesis paper <laughs> on poker. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we get into some of your strategy tips? Uh, yeah, that's actually quite funny. I was telling uh, Chris, Chris Moneymaker, that he was part of that thesis, actually. Um yeah, because uh, the thesis is about uh, the sociological effect of tournament poker uh, in the society. So basically, like how poker, mm, how the view in poker was changed in America because of tournament poker and um, and not the regular cash game. Tournament poker changed the the view that mm, the, the general public had on poker instead of like being this like private cowboy games with the guns and everything tournament became like a competition like a sport kind of you know so basically i go through all the processes uh, all the events all the events since the 1970s when world series of poker was uh, created 
uh, and I just go through all the major events that help push that good image of like poker in society or, or the transition basically so the, the money maker effect was obviously one of the biggest ones so yeah of course I mean it really captured the imagination of poker players not only here in uh, America but around the world because his story is so incredible that he'd never even been inside a casino and people started to think well if he can do it then maybe I can do it too and that's how so many poker players were basically born yeah and on top of that like it uh, pushed online poker as well because he was an online qualifier and also like making the dream of anybody can do it you know a qualifier can actually win the main event so he had a massive importance in in the community in the game. So. Absolutely. Now, when uh, when you got started in poker, were you also an online player first, who then eventually moved into the casino, or vice versa? I, I everything for me has always been like parallel. Um, I, I I did my first hands of poker. I did play them in a private game. And I was going, <clears throat> for the first two years, though, I was going to a private game regularly, but I did find online poker uh, six months into me starting to play poker. So uh, as soon as I found out, I was doing both things. It's actually quite, quite a funny story. Greg Merson was uh, part of like my my cash game crew, and, and he was like, oh, do you know you can play online too? And I was like, <laughs> wow. no, let's go. And he, yeah, and he was like, let's go. Well, <laughs> It I... was really funny. I grew up in the uh, Baltimore metropolitan oh, area, right. and uh, Greg right. is also, uh, like me, an Orioles fan, which uh, I don't uh -huh. know how much that means to people in Europe, but they're a baseball team here in America, and uh, yeah. yeah, I love uh, Greg Merson. He's always been one of my heroes, not only for, uh, you know, obviously his incredible poker success, but just uh, the inspirational story of how he overcame his uh, addiction and bad habits and how open he is about all of that as well so uh that's a pretty yeah. good person for you to have been affiliated with so early on in your in your yeah. uh, growth he, he, he was such a baby like it's so it's so crazy like i met him i don't know if he was uh, he was still in school so he, I, I don't know he was like when he was like maybe 18 or something like that i i, I don't remember but really yeah. funny greg merson is uh, a local hero <laughs> you could say yeah where i'm from so uh, what did your professor say about your uh, your thesis paper about poker? Uh, it was it was complicated because at the beginning I told him I wanted to do it like about something more standard and he was like no let's uh, I wanted to do it about like World War II diplomacy and he was like no that's boring everybody does that and I was like okay so you he was like do something that you really love and I'm like I love poker and he was like yeah great so he loved the idea. But then later on, he didn't like it so much. I think, uh, <laughs> I don't know why, he, he started picking on me. Uh, it was pretty sad, to be honest. But <laughs> wow. But yeah. So many times in college, I feel like this was also part of my college experience. I'd be encouraged to take a risk. And then when I took a risk, they said, oh, we don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's part of the college experience. Well, of course, you're out of school now and you're a grown woman. Uh, and so uh, what are you doing these days poker-wise? Are you playing more online? Are you playing a, a mix? Like you say, everything's always been sort of parallel. Have you kept with that? Uh, yes. Uh, the, I mean, I'm putting less volume than back in the days because back in the days it was crazy. It was like I was playing live and I had my computer next to me if I passed. 
I snapped register, you know. I, wow. I'm too old to do this. <laughs> I can't do that anymore. Huh? <laughs> no, no. I, now I bicycle rest, you know. <laughs> but but yeah, no, I'm still doing both. Uh, but now I I combine. Like if I'm in a live tree, I play live. If I go on a, if I'm if I'm home, I play online. So both of them, yeah. Okay, great. So why don't you tell us a little bit if you if you don't mind, uh, just kind of your general approach to the game like sometimes I talk to pros and they say that they kind of have a strategy in mind before they get to a particular event maybe based on the way they perceive the the local players to approach the game themselves um, do you typically have kind of a, a preset notion of what you plan to do or are you more of a once I get there and feel it out that's that's when I'll decide what kind of strategy I'll have yeah no my base my base um when I come in, the baseline is always GTO because you don't know the people, so you just pl try to play GTO. But no, the, the real plan is just you come in into the table, you sit down, see who you have at the table. I'll, most of the times I know people. If I don't know people, I just observe. So basically, like uh, I adapt to, to the situation. Also, the strategy changes a lot depending on like how many blinds you have, the momentum you have in the game, like the moment of the game. Like there's some. Uh, yeah, that's what I love about poker. You know, it's like a constant dance of strategy. Yeah, it definitely is. That's kind of what I love about <laughs> it too, as opposed to the uh, uh, you know other types of games. The way the game changes based on the situation. You know, it, like for example, in baseball, which I already mentioned. I obviously I love baseball. I keep talking about baseball here, but. Uh, in baseball, you're always trying to get a hit, right? Every time you go up to bat, you want to get a hit, right? There are some strategy yeah. elements, but the basic idea of the game, similar to soccer, you you want to score a goal, right? That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And sometimes in poker, it's like now I'm in the the phase or the mode of the tournament where I'm trying to accumulate chips, and now I'm in the part of the tournament where I really just survival is more important. Uh, here I have a really bad player at my table. I'm trying to figure out how to exploit that bad player or now I'm at a really tough table and I need to go back to GTO to me that's the fun of the game that's what keeps me coming back for more is that's never really the same game twice is it no it's never you never you're never in the same spot so different it's so many factors are involved like to take your decisions at the moment you know yeah so I know a lot of our listeners uh, are kind of just now getting their feet wet with learning about GTO and and how it's used. Um, what advice would you give someone who's trying to uh, add a little bit more of a, of a theoretical understanding to his or her game? Like, what sort of uh, advice would you give someone that's just now learning about GTO strategies? Nowadays, uh, people are very lucky uh, because of the tools they have to start from baseline. So, if you're start, if you're new in the game, start studying. <laughs> that's my advice. I mean. Play, obviously, you gotta play because uh, playing and studying goes hand in hand. You cannot like everything you study; you have to apply to really understand it. But it is good to start with like uh, the closest you can get to GTO before making exploits. So basically, you, you wanna learn the basis first, and then after you learn the basis, start deviating from them or adapting them the, the best way you can, basically. So now nowadays that we have so many tools, I think uh, it's super it's super easy for somebody to play a session, put their hands in, and start learning. Start learning. Yeah, and you mentioned Anna, there are a lot of tools out there for this purpose. Uh, would you say that they're all pretty much the same, or do you find that one? 
particular GTO tool is easier to use than another? Personally, for me, the, the nuts is GTO Wizard. GTO Wizard is like a game changer. Um, it's super user-friendly. It's very, yeah, I mean, user-friendly, the interface is nice, but the, it's just easy, you know? You just grab your hands from like what you play, you put them inside, you analyze them, you go over it, you can practice, like, I think it's great. Like right now, like for example, it's like, it's the main tool I'm using. Obviously I still use Pio um, to like go more in depth. Like if I wanna actually like move around things that maybe GTO Wizard doesn't allow me to do, mm -hmm. then I go into Pio. And, but it's basically the, the problem I'm using right now. Okay, so GTO Wizard sounds like the one that you are uh, using the most. I haven't actually heard of that one. Um, what is it about GTO Wizard that you think is more user friendly than some of the other tools out there? Like you mentioned, PO or well, I mean, uh, it's easier because um, you have like pre solves. So basically, you don't have to go looking for the ranges. Like um, it, it's way faster. Like uh, PO is slow sometimes. Also, like you may not have enough memory in your computer. This problem I've had so many problems. Yeah, with, like, yeah, like yeah. Buy, buying so many discs from uh, like extra space for my computer, like getting servers, like all this stuff. So very inconvenient. Uh, this is super easy to use. Uh, so basically like to start is like perfect, you know, it also has a trainer included. So you can train and then study the spots. Uh, I don't know, it's, it's a sick tool. Um, and, wow. and, even if, and even if you're not studying, I mean, I use it all the time. So um, and yeah, like, and I actually have a, um, have a, a link for you like mm, you can you have 10 percent off if you use my link to register so oh great if you guys want yeah great. if you guys want to do it why not yeah i mean but it's yeah i really really recommend it i oh. really Okay, well, I'm, I never heard of that one before. I'm, I'm really glad you came on the podcast today because you taught me something. I'm going to give that a try. Uh, and I'll tell you what, we'll put that link in the uh, description of this podcast so that all of our listeners can uh, give it a try if they're so inclined to check out uh, GTO Wizard. So I think that you said you had a hand that we could discuss today. Yes, I do. Uh, right. and, and I'm actually going to use GTO Wizard to, to guide you through it. Oh, great. Um, okay. So cool. The way the way we like to do it generally, if this is okay with you, Anna, is every time it's your turn to make a decision. Uh, before you tell me what you did, maybe you and I can talk about what the thought process would be, what the options are, and the pros and cons before we uh, you know point out what the solver has to say. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. No, actually, like uh, the solver, it's like I'm only using it to like see different options because the reason. I picked this hand. This is a um, this is a hand from the Venom, um, and the reason why I picked this hand is because first of all because it's fun <laughs> because I decided to get a bit out of line. So I was like I didn't want to bring a, a boring hand, so I decided to pick this one. And also because I actually had like my doubts about how I played it, so I I, I started it. So now 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 I can I can give you like different points of view not only what i was thinking but i can tell you what i was thinking of course okay great that's perfect yeah. so uh this is going to be the uh venom pko on acr yeah okay so yeah. i also we've been talking about this tournament quite a bit lately on the podcast i also played in that tournament and had quite a few hands that i wanted to 
uh, discuss with my listeners as well. So I think they'll be relieved that instead of hearing one of my Venom hands today, they get to hear one of yours. And I'm excited <laughs> to hear how uh, a pro like you sometimes gets out of line herself. <laughs> so uh, why don't you tell us what the uh, what the blinds are and what the situation is? Yeah, I mean, I I can be a real monkey sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but this one particularly, like, it, it was crazy because I, I was chief leader like most of the first day one. Wow. So so here actually like um, I was already in the momentum, so that's why I get out of line a little bit, and I'm and I'm I'm applying a lot of pressure because the table is not responding so good to against my pressure. So basically, like I'm taking advantage. So then how do we go? Okay, so there is, we have 80 big blinds effective. And so UTG opens 2.3. I am in the cutoff. I raise. Okay, here is my first out of line. I have, um, if, I, if I'm a little slow, it's because I'm going through, <laughs> I'm, I'm passing the action. So here is where I get out of line because uh, I decide I'm going to three bed uh, six, seven of space. Okay, so here's the action, guys. We have uh, the under-the-gun player who is one of the short stacks at the table with 80 big blinds, which is not exactly what we normally consider a short stack. But remember, this is the early stages of the Venom PKO, which is a very deep stack, slow, um, good structure tournament. So uh, just because it's a short stack doesn't mean it's like short per se. Raises from under-the-gun... And the action now folds to Anna in the cutoff. And, of course, she has this player well covered. And so we've got a 7-6 of spades. And so I think that, of course, you you can call in position with this hand with your suited connector, fairly deep stacked. A very tight player might fold, you know, being worried that maybe another player on the left might try to three-bet or something like that and don't want to get involved. You don't actually have to play this hand at all. Um, but then you chose to go for the three bet, which is a little bit out of line. So tell us what, you know, why, why you did that, what the uh, rationale is there. Oh, well, yeah, as I said, I wanted to apply pressure. And I was actually having a lot of momentum as well. So I was like, why not? And I did roll it, and it rolled really low. And I, I decided to put like a... I don't remember what I, I think I said like 20% something like that in my head. I was like, whatever, I just gotta put 20% if it rolls like I, I three bet it if not I call. So I call. I mean, sorry, I three bet it rolled low and I three bet. And yeah, don't do this. Don't do this at home. <laughs> <laughs> don't try this at home. So Anna, just to clarify, uh, what do you mean when you say you rolled it? Ah, oh, randomize it. I randomize it. Right. So oh. you you have another program open on your desktop that just picks a random number between one and a hundred or something like that yeah 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 but, yeah. I, but I, I cannot be a hypocrite i was leaning towards already three wedding you know uh, <laughs> so, let's be honest yeah, yeah. yeah let's be honest <laughs> but but i don't know it, 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 i still gave the the benefit of the randomizer so and it didn't go so let's go <laughs> okay and the, from that point forward uh we make it eight big blinds and then the action folds all the way back to the original Razor, which again is the under-the-gun player with 80 big blinds who calls. So at this point, you are in position with 7-6 suited versus an opponent who has now put in 10% of his or her stack from under the gun. So huh? we we now have a pot of, what, about 18-ish big blinds. And uh, what is the flop? 
So the flop is 10 of hearts, 7 of diamonds, 2 of spades. Um, okay, so he checks. Uh, I bet 50%. Right, so before we talk about your betting, let's look at what okay. we've got here. We've got middle pair. We've also got some backdoor straight and flush possibilities. Do you think that this is a good flop, a bad flop, or a neutral flop for our hand here? Okay, so... I would say this is a better flop for for UTG because uh, I'm most likely not gonna be three betting. I'm not gonna be three betting deuces or seven. Uh, maybe ten sometimes, but not always either. So I mean, he's hitting more sets than me, but I still have all the over pairs, I guess. So. So when you when you have a situation like this where you have been a little bit out of line and now you kind of catch a little piece of the flop. Uh, I agree with the idea that you should bet. How do you choose the sizing that you want to use in this situation? Okay, so, uh, I mean, I guess you could do like one third. Like the reason why I pick 50% is because uh, to get rid of all the overcards and like lower pairs, like puts a bit more pressure like with the bigger bet. So. Uh, in this spot, I mean, in this spot, I'm pretty like I'm pretty I'm looking pretty strong, so I kind of want to polarize it a little bit. I don't know. Basically, let's just want to get rid. Like, like if I make it too small, then they're gonna float me a lot with like high cards and and smaller pairs, you know? Yeah. So in mm-hmm. other words, uh, if if opponent here has a hand like let's say ace queen and didn't want a four bet pre flop. And now flops a 10 high, no, nothing really with ace-queen except for the two over cards. And Ana chooses to bet, let's say, one-third of the pot. You're offering four to one on a call. I mean, technically you're ahead of ace-queen, but ace-queen has, you know, pretty decent equity as well, especially if you offer that type of price. So you, you go a little bit higher to try to get hands like ace-queen out of your pot, even though you're actually ahead of that hand right now. Exactly, exactly. And if you and I actually, out of curiosity, I do this a lot. Like I, I put different sizes to see like how it will work and like actually exactly what you said, no? Like with a thirty percent bet, they have to call it queen. With a fifty percent, they have to fold it. So yeah. And so, uh, is this a good time to ask what uh, GTO Wizard had to say about your play on the flop? Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Uh, the the flop is perfect. Yeah. Okay. Fifty percent. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I want a program that tells me I'm perfect too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I, it's also relative, but it's like in this spot, I was right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> of course. Of course. All right. So we bet half the pot, and opponent calls. So yeah. now this pot is getting a little bit big, and so with thirty-seven-ish big blinds in the middle, uh, what is the turn? Okay, the, tre- the turn is the three of hearts, and this is where this is this is the the spot that I was like more concerned about. Okay, so opponent was- opponent checks to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, I I I bet uh, around seventy five percent pot uh, in game. I wasn't too sure it was the most optimal bet in, in hindsight, you know. After after I look at it. Uh, I see pros and cons on betting this. You can also check. Like, actually, GTO prefers checking. I prefer betting. 
because I wanted to put, a, uh, I, as I said, I was like momentum and I was applying pressure. This spot was mine. <laughs> right, right. So for, for my listeners, Anna, let's talk about this for a second because, you know, you told us you like to study the GTO solutions and work with the solvers, uh, GTO wizard, PO solver, and really learn your fundamentals and get your technicals down. But when you are in a certain position, in a situation in this tournament, you've evaluated the situation you're in, your momentum is on your side, you have a tough winning image, your opponents are not putting up that much resistance, uh, even though that three on the turn doesn't really change anything for you, you decided that for exploitative reasons, you wanted to keep applying pressure, despite the fact that uh, the solver would prefer a check. I mean, of course, in, in game, I don't imagine you always know what the solver would suggest, no, no. but but you probably surmised that at least some of the time the solver would have you checking here on this turn card, right? Yeah, I mean, like, when when you're, like, studying a bunch, then you kind of see the spots over and over again, and then you, like, realize a little bit, like, um, how to balance it, you know, because in a lot of spots we can we can check, bet, we can bet various sizes, you just gotta pick, basically, so you can randomize as well, so... Uh, but yeah, in this spot, I, I went more with the exploitative side, and I decided to to bet it. But in hindsight, I don't know if I love my bet so much. Maybe a 50% bet could have been a little bit better. But I guess there's pros and cons, no? Like, uh, if I'm betting 75% on the turn, like the river bet is quite small. Uh, the, if I jam on the river, if I go all in on the river, uh, it's smaller. So that's the reason why afterwards I didn't love this as, as much. But also like when you're betting bigger, it's like, I don't know, they're gonna have a tough time like raising you, like with their draws, for example. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, just, I just thought it was a good, a good bet then. Uh, afterwards, I, I, I mean, while I, after the hand, I marked it because I wasn't too sure about the bet. And then I checked it on, on the solver. And yeah, it's quite interesting actually because uh, it depends a lot in the combo you have when you're betting. So for example, like with my combo, six, seven of spades, like 50% was the most optimal bet. The curious thing about my combo is like, okay, so with six, seven of spades, the solver prefers 50%. With six, seven of hearts, the solver prefers 75%. Why is that? Well, because if they shove, you got a call because uh, you have to call and then you have the extra equity you have the equity and you're reading their draws and stuff so right so when you have the flush draw on the turn mm -hmm. then the solver doesn't mind a large bet now you said yeah. the solver prefers a half pot bet does the solver prefer checking to the half pot bet like it's the number one choice on the solver the half pot bet or is it split the solver uh, prefers checking overall overall so with my hands, six, seven of spades, like uh, solver checks like 47% and bets, uh, bets 50%, 39. Okay. And then 75%, 13%. With my particular combo, like you can bet 75%, 30% of the time, basically. So it's not so far off. It's just, it will be more ideal, like 50%. Because actually like if they shove me on the turn, uh, I have to call, basically, especially being PKO. So, eh, yeah. Yeah, so this is early in the tournament, so the bounty on this player is like $600, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I don't, I don't hate it. Like I'm okay with like betting seventy five over fifty. I would have preferred fifty, obviously, uh, in hindsight. But I definitely prefer the betting over the checking, a hundred percent. Because okay. I, I was, um, that was the plan. <laughs> the plan was going for it, you know. Right. So, so you deviated mm-hmm. intentionally from what you suspected yeah. the GTO strategy would be based on the situation. On the- yeah. Yeah. The situation and the player too, you know, because um, in general, as I said, they weren't showing much resistance. They were playing pretty passive at my table, so and I was putting a lot of pressure. So I just, I just thought that they were gonna overfall probably. So. Yeah, and yeah. guys, this is the way a professional player views the game. I mean, uh, you know, of course, Anna spends hours and hours and hours trying to learn all the different scenarios and the GTO spots. But even once you have that, a real pro is going to know when to pounce on an opponent's weakness, even if it means that the solver wouldn't wouldn't agree, because this is this is the essence of the game. It's really it's always going to be about exploiting opponents at the end of the day. GTO is great to just understand the fundamentals of poker and of course if you're ever up against a table filled with sharks they won't have any weaknesses for you to exploit but in a tournament like the venom pko which does feature such a large field and so many satellite winners uh you will find that there will you'll be at good really good tables where doing gto is not actually the the best strategy for that situation but you do have to have a strong reason to deviate right uh, yeah, I mean, for, for, yes. If I, if I was in a table full of sharks, uh, I randomized the bet size. Yeah. Like I probably ra- randomized like 50% check, and then like I don't know. Then uh, I probably yeah do like 25, 25, something like that. So depends. It's very important. It's very important the table, the dynamic, your image, like how they're playing back at you, what kind of players you're playing against. It's super important. And in tournaments, this constantly changes so you have to be really alert okay so great so we did bet a little bigger than maybe we should on the turn and now we there's the effective stack is like about 40 big blinds and there's already 86 or so in the middle so what happens on the river uh, the river carries a nine of clubs and UDG checks and I go in. Okay. So, guys, our final board is now 10, 7, deuce, tray, 9. And no flush got there. And now opponent, who has been checking and calling all the way, including that large bet on the turn, checks once again. So, Anna, what made you feel so confident in betting once again into this player who called your big bet on the turn? Uh, I mean, I at this point, I feel like I have no option. <laughs> <laughs> you got to follow up, right? So you're basically turning yeah. your pair of sevens into a bluff. Do you think the sevens I, are ever good? No. Never. No, the, seven, the, the, the seven is never good. So if you if you check, you're giving up, like, to lose, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just have to, like, keep telling my story, you know? And, and yeah, just hope he falls, I guess. But, I mean... The the nine is not the best card to bluff actually. Oh, what, you, what is the problem with the nine? Because you're worried about eight nine, is it? Yeah, eight nine, ten nine, um, even nines. If somebody's hero calling me, but it's unlikely, you know. Nine nines, like I don't think he was calling my my side 
my bet on the turn with nines. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's too big of a bet. Maybe a smaller bet, the nines could be a little bit sticky. But yeah, now that he's basically getting close to pot commitment, uh, maybe... Yeah, I, but you know, on the other hand, Anna, your story to me really feels like you should have a lot of over pairs that you mm-hmm. play this way. I mean, you should have pocket aces quite a bit here. Mm-hmm. So it, you're putting pressure on him when he has a hand like, I don't know, maybe like ace 10 or king 10. I don't know. I mean, 9, 8, raise under the gun and then call this big three back. I mean, they do it. That's true. But 10, 9, yeah, those, that seems like pretty weak hands to even open under the gun in the first place. So I guess that's player dependent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're basically just saying, look, do you want to go broke? I'm telling you I have aces. Do you believe me or not? Mm-hmm. And at some point, uh, you know, you just keep betting until they fold, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> basically, basically. Yeah, actually, actually, it's quite curious because, I mean, uh, even with the... I mean, GTO, like, they can be calling still, like, pocket nines, like over 50 like 50 percent something like that with a 50 percent bet on the on the turn so the, the big size i don't think makes it so different but i mean a little bit yes they have to well yeah I, I, well, look if they if they call on the turn the bet sizing you used on the turn leaves your opponent with less than half a pot remaining if he calls right yeah so in other words now on the river there are 86 big blinds in the middle and your opponent's stack is right around 40. So yeah. there shouldn't be too many folds. Because, I mean, look, you're offering like three and a half to one almost. But I guess it's just, would Ana really do this with a hand worse than a pair of 10s? Right? I think we're targeting a 10. Uh, that's going to be a big part of the range. Yeah, I mean, okay, we can worry about pocket nines. So in that sense, the nine is not a great card. But, I mean, look... If they have that, we're just about to lose a lot of chips, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I also run the same, like, with uh, the 50% bet, and it doesn't change so much. It's more about the problem with that bet is, is what I said, no? Like, when they jam you, you have to call. Right. So that's a, I think that's what I didn't like the most about it, like, that it felt a little weird. But it, it's okay. I have the, the two solves in front of me, so I'm literally, like, talking to you, and I'm, like, looking at it, and <laughs> having, like, more ideas and everything. So I'm literally going in the rabbit hole in the middle of the podcast. So stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll just stop you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, sorry, we lost you for a moment there. But, the uh, the you know, the bottom line is, uh, this all-in, turning your pair of sevens into a bluff, ends up working out as your opponent folds, and now you accumulate um, that big stack that you mentioned a little while earlier you had uh, throughout most of day one. I mean, at the beginning of this hand, you already had almost the whole table covered, and after this hand, you had everyone well covered. Now, I don't know how many of our listeners would actually have considered even turning a pair of sevens, middle pair on the flop, into a uh, bluff. So why don't we talk about that for a second, Anna, because I think that's kind of interesting too, is uh, how did you know that your pair of sevens was no good and you basically turned it into, um, you know, pure air? How did you know? Like what tells you that I can't just check this down for whatever showdown value I might have? Uh, Well, I mean, because our line is pretty strong. So when he's calling, he should have something decent something good that he's putting a lot of chips in so so yeah our seven is like 
I mean, he has to perceive we have like so much better and he's still calling, you know, so yeah, our seven is weak. Right. And I think that's one of the fundamental skills in really advancing into a professional level where you can, uh, you know, actually compete in higher stakes tournaments is learning when to turn a hand that you might think like on a wing and a prayer does have showdown value into a bluff as you've done here with your uh, pair of sevens. I know earlier in my career, I would hardly ever bluff if I actually had something. I'm putting something in air quotation marks that you can't see on a podcast. But yeah, it's not really something, as you mentioned, like once he calls bets on both the flop and the turn, he's always beating sevens. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You have to assume that they're both chunky bets. Like for a three bet pot, like 50%, it's already quite big. So then you go on the turn with a 75% bet, uh, pot. Pot bet is like he has to have something. He has to have something. Yeah. So seven, sevens is no good. Well, good for you being able to pull that trigger on the river bet. And I'm glad it worked out for you. Uh, how did you end up doing in that tournament overall? Ah, it was very bittersweet. Like then at the end of the day, like I started losing stupid flips, you know, like with PKOs and stuff. We gotta call everything. Gotta call, <laughs> no, yeah. But, yeah, but we, I lost a bunch of flips, and I and I actually ended the day with 70 blinds, and then and then like the next day, uh, literally I played a couple of hands, and then like I lost another flip. So basically, the the how do you say the the I I forgot this this expression in English. The the moral of the story is uh, I have to learn to win flips. <laughs> well, once you learn, can you teach me too? <laughs> <laughs> I also made day two of this exact tournament and also started with about 70 big blinds and also did not cash. So I, yeah, yeah. So that was uh, bittersweet for me as well as I did not even collect one single bounty at any point in the tournament. So to play for that long and to make nothing is just, but that's why we play tournament poker yeah. because we're all masochists who love to be tortured. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> it was actually, it was actually quite like quite interesting. I, I think I had like only two bounties or three, I think two or three. I don't remember. It was very little com considering the, the chip lead I had and the amount of, of blinds I had, which, it's usually, I mean, in a PKO, it's not so nice because you want to get that bounty. Of course. But in, a, but in a normal tournament, it's actually quite nice that you're winning with no showdown. So that's always important in tournaments. This is something that mm, I think not everybody realizes, like when they're starting, like winning with no showdown is really good because yeah. you just want to you just wanna avoid flips. You just want to avoid variants. You just want to take the pots. Take the pots and don't have to get sucked out on or, or lose your, your chip lead because of somebody else getting lucky or having to you know get a 50-50 or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think this, this is a topic for another day, the importance of winning without showdown in tournaments in general. And I would love to have you on another time to just talk about the difference in the strategy of a regular tournament as opposed to a PKO. As much as I love playing them, I think that there are probably a lot of things that I don't know about the format. It is my favorite format, but there's not that much information um, available out there of how my strategy should change when the bounties get big or when I'm in spots like that. So I'd love to have you back if you'd be willing to come on and talk about these topics on another day. Yeah, for sure. Any any time. Actually, PKOs they piss me off a bit. <laughs> they are your they, they are your favorite, but like for me, it's like there's 
it's so much variance they add. <laughs> yeah, I've learned <laughs> to <know>? embrace the <laughs> variance. You gotta call everything. Like, yeah. You call everything. <laughs> Maybe I just have a lot of gamble in me, but I like that about it. I don't like to watch everybody fold, and you know, I like I want to see the I want to see some rivers. You know, let's go, let's get it in, and hope we win. A lot of money. No, they're they're really fun for sure. I, I was just joking. They're really fun. I like them, but yeah, of course, it's like it's. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, they piss me off too, let's be honest. <laughs> well, Anna, it's a pleasure to uh, meet you here over Skype, and I hope to meet you in person sometime. Before we go, um, can you tell us what your poker plans are in the coming months? Do you know what you're going to be playing or any trips you might be taking? Yeah, I'm super booked. <laughs> super yeah. booked. Uh, I'm super booked, and I actually decided to like uh, take trips off because uh, I promised my mom I was going to see her in Christmas. So, <laughs> nice. So yeah, uh, no, I'm going EPT Prague. Uh, it's my next stop. And then Christmas. And then after Christmas, uh, I go to PCA for the, yeah, PCA. Uh, and then uh, it's very possible I go to Uruguay afterwards uh, for the ACR tournament. And yeah, from then on, it's uh, EPTs and uh, also like all Vegas and everything. Basically, I don't know when I have free time. Yeah, I don't know how, how I'm going to put hours online because there's so many trips, so many trips. Yeah, it sounds like you'll be getting a lot of frequent flyer miles, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, will you be yeah. playing in this Bountiful uh, Thanksgiving tournament? This, in, in other words, my listeners want to know if they can bust you and get double your bounty. Yes, yes. I, w I, I hesitated for a second because... You just remind me I have to put my name on the list <laughs> of, of when am I playing, of when am I playing it because uh, I've been so, like, I've been so in so many trips that, like, I literally, like, just got home and I'm, like, all over the place. I need to catch up on so many things that I need to be on top, like, besides poker and studying and everything. So I do have to, like, register my name to see when I'm playing it, but I'm for sure going to play it. So if you pass me, double bounty. All right, so look for that. Uh, Anna, it's a great pleasure to have you on, and I look forward to speaking with you again very soon. Okay, same. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. So with special thanks to our sponsor, America's Card Room, and even more special thanks to my first-time guest, Anna Marquez, uh, and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart Fine, fine.